0: My name's Colin. Um, if we can swap over to the Mac, uh, and um, I, I want to talk to you about how not to be that guy. Although, let's be fair here, I'm talking to myself about how not to be that guy. We're, um, read- we've been in the process of reading our way through the book of Luke, partly because if we are to know anything, we want to know Jesus. And if you know nothing else, I just would love for you to know Jesus. Um, and so reading through the Gospels is a great way to get a handle on who is this Jesus character. And also because actually it's a bit crazy around here. Uh, uh, crazier than normal. We've had Vinnie's in trucking away furniture. We've had um, contractors in asking questions about um, is there bats in the ceiling? And what's going to happen when they pull that down? And where does this pipe go? And it's, it's been... Um, all of which, which takes time, energy, and focus. And so we figured, if we wander our way through Luke, we know we'll find out about Jesus. But in the process of this reading the passages we had for this week, um, yeah, I found myself thinking about how not to be that guy. Um, so just to start off. You know how it's popular to buy jeans with rips already in them? I come from the generation where if you rip your jeans, you feel bad. You know where? Um, you know when you it's, Jean, um, you walk past something like a door handle you just sort of bump into it, and it rips the jeans, and it's like, man, that's 60 bucks gone, it's you're, uh, or 20 if you buy it in an op shop. Um, all fabric has some given it, but there's a stage at which it rips. It can cope with so much tension and no more. Um, buildings are like that. My dad was a professor of civil engineering. He built dams, so it wasn't actually his lab that was fun to walk through, but one of the labs next to his used to build huge concrete structures and then break them. It was like sand castles taken to the extreme. They would beam full of steel and that kind of stuff, and they'd set up these machines and just crank up the tension to see how much stress would it take until it exploded. And of course, uh, as a boy, I wanted to be in that lab, because that's fun. Because everything will take so much tension and then goes bang. And of course, it happens to us as well. We feel under varying amounts of tension, and there's that fear that one day we're just gonna go bang. And you can see it happen in people. Um, Now, this is kind of a funny exercise. I, I wanna play you two songs by the same artist. And the first song is when he is young, and uh, all the older people will really know it and the younger people, I think you will I'm just curious to do, do if you do because it's a bit of a classic um, just have a listen to this and have a note of the lyrics and see what's this guy saying ab- ab- about change wherever well, uh, you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone Give your time worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone, or the times they are changing Okay, who remembers the song? Yep, yep. It's, uh, it's a song about change. He's a young person, and actually, it's the 60s, and he's keen for change. Bring it, because the times are changing. That's a relatively optimistic song. You wouldn't have picked it from that verse, the first verse. But that's why you should all gather around, because change is coming, and it's a good thing, and it can't come fast enough. Okay, let's press the fast-forward button and hear, hear from Bob again. And this is older Bob Dylan. Standing on a gallows with my... No to well that's a cheerful song, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's older Bob. Dylan. anybody know that song? No. no, for some reason it wasn't a smash hit. It's quite dark. It's the older person's cry. I remember being young and idealistic and thinking all the change that was coming was going to be good, and now I'm older, and I used to care, but things have changed. And I'm... (laughs) Harsh language. Standing on the gallows with my head in the noose expecting any moment for all hell to break loose. That sort of sense of... So one extreme, change is good, let's bring it, and another extreme... From an older person, not necessarily an older person—you don't have to be in that place—but where it's opposite. There's uh, Jill mentioned just before here. There's this sort of um, uh, slide of how you deal with change. There's kind of early adopters. Oh yeah, we should do it. And uh, and I've I've put young Bob and old Bob in there. And I put it up there because I was looking at myself and saying some change I want, and some change is really difficult. And actually, older people here have lived with this massive level of change where you grew up with no computers at all. None. Um, not even calculators. And now we live in a, a, an age where they're just everywhere. And, and younger people, what are you talking about? That's just that's all I've ever known. Um, change is difficult, can be challenging to deal with, because it does come whether or not you're ready. It won't leave us. You can try and ignore it, but it comes. Uh, but like here in this church, we're in a season of change. Um, we 're going to move out of the building it 's getting closer and closer. Our target is end of September, and we are now in September. It might be early october, but it 's that far away and Everything you see in here is going to come out. Woohoo uh, Change comes whether you 're ready or not we 'll be meeting in the school over the hall over there and at the moment, move and groove and craft group and foot clinic this friday yep. It's going to be meeting in the sports hall across the road from Fresh Choice. And we're planning to have a couple of Portacom officers out here and to store these lovely chairs in our pottery room. Um, there'll be no running the kiln um, this year. Change comes whether you're ready or not. Uh, we're in a democracy. Parliament will change laws, as democracies do. And they'll change it based on what they think everybody thinks. Um, which is one of the reasons why it's worth making submissions. Yep, because Parliament will change laws. In fact, the general rule of thumb for a politician is if you get a letter from someone, you assume um, there's another 10 people who feel that strongly but haven't written to you. So actually, writing letters makes a difference. Change comes, ready or not. And in fact, I'm told that every cell in our body changes, kind of is replaced in a seven-year period. So every seven years, you're a new person. Don't doesn't feel that way. So we're reading our way through Luke and following Jesus, and there's a bunch of people in Luke that we keep bumping into again and again, and they have particular attitudes to change, and they are the Pharisees. Um, they're back again, and they will st- keep popping up in the story, though in early Luke, in the stage we're in now, Luke really wants us to notice that. And pharisee it's is a religious movement consisting of lay people, not clergy, not paid professionals, um, and they share a deep commitment to the Hebrew Scriptures and traditions, and they think that the Jewish people have not been freed from the Romans because of the Jews' toleration of sin. And so their answer is, we should be pure. There are too many drunks, prostitutes, and gluttons. If they could just get these sinners to change their ways, then God will send the people we want, the, the one we want to free us. Generally speaking, the Pharisees don't like the change they are seeing. In in their day, the Romans are running the world, a world built on slavery. There is no freedom of religion. The land that they felt they were promised has been taken away from them. They are not impressed. And their solution is wrapped up in a cardboard box of faith and purity. If we have more faith and more purity, then things will come right. And along comes Jesus, and how do you think they're going to react to that? Well, I did a little tiki tour through Luke, and I looked at the things that the Pharisees said. So I'd like to pop them up in front of us, and I wonder if somebody could call out, there's different colors, so if somebody could call out, a number of people could call out just the things the Pharisees have said. Um, Bit of a group exercise, so can someone lead us off and just call out the one in yellow? Can you not, Oh, you can't read the green? Oh, fail. John's disciples often fast and pray, but so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. <gasps> okay, there's more to come. I'll, I'll read the green. <laughs> <laughs> Leave this place and go somewhere else, because Herod wants to kill you. And can you read the last one? Okay, what do they sound like, do you think? Pompous, judgy? Hypocrites? Are these... They sound like religious people. Yep. What do you reckon? Do you want to go out for a meal with these guys? I mean, remember, at their heart... (laughs) If they're paying, good, could. <laughs> they, at their heart, they want purity. I mean, is that a bad thing? But what do they sound like? Now, actually, um, one of the tricky things is we don't hear directly from the Pharisees almost at all. Um, uh, Josephus, um, if you know of Josephus, he's an early writer. Um, he claims himself to be a Pharisee. Okay, so it's not necess- we get a pretty harsh take on Pharisees in the New Testament because they're always banging up against Jesus because Jesus doesn't seem to be giving them the change they want. He's pushing their buttons. Okay, so we shouldn't write them off. That desire for purity, actually lots of us have got that. It's not a bad thing, but we should listen to what do they sound like because that's a thing for us. So, and why does it sound that way? Well, let's put it in context. Jesus heals someone. Hang on, today's the Sabbath. You can't do that today. They literally say, couldn't you do that any other day when someone is healed? Um, Your disciples didn't wash your hands. Stand up here, people who went to the toilet today and didn't wash their hands. No, don't, 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 don't. I was going to say raise your hands, but no, no. this man welcomes sinners. Well, I can't speak for you, but they, to me, the word I've got for them is they are petty. I get their desire, but they're on about the rules that aren't about the heart of something. And that is frightening for me because I know I can be that. Okay? In fact, I'm a little bit nervous of this next little season of life. And we're going to move out of the church, which means we'll have to change a lot of the things we do and we're going to want to think about those i've got a friend whose their church is in a different position they're just about to move into a new building and that person's reflection was that they're having to be quite lots of details no don't do it that way i know we did it that way in our last thing but in this building we can do this and so over and over again and they they, they didn't say they were worried about quibbling over things but it's it's really easy to do and what would it be like someone just get healed and you're quibbling about the timing of it. Or couldn't you have done it another time? Anyone ever found themselves in that position where that's their internal dialogue? Someone tells you this amazing story, and you're left there going, and you're quibbling? Hello, I'm Petty. Not Tom Petty, just Petty. Let's have a a read of the passage. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, here we go. Purity, you shouldn't eat with those people. They're impure, and Jesus says, hang on, these are exactly the people I need to eat with. They need help. Carry on. They said to him, well, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Back to the purity thing. And Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He says, roughly speaking, for everything there is a season. <laughs> turn, turn, turn. <laughs> This is about timing. There's a time to celebrate and a time to mourn. Get it right. And then he tells a story that for me is devastating. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. I hate that. I particularly hate the last line there. It's only in Luke. This uh, is told in, in Matthew and Mark, but this last line that says, No one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they, will, for they say the old is better. I hate it because I'm getting older. In the painting, you can see um, someone carrying a wineskin. Um, glass bottles don't really start being manufactured for storage of stuff until after Jesus so, um, mostly when you're storing wine, I guess they would have had barrels, but leather skin containers and new leather stretches, and old leather doesn't, so as the wine is fermenting, it would make sense, wouldn't it? You'd put wine, the wine in, a, in new leather. And what's he doing here? He's actually directing this towards the Pharisees. You are old wineskins, the old garments, the old geezers who don't want the new because the old is better. And it's true, they're wanting to bring back the old ways, and I hate this because I see myself in it, because I've got older. And you get older, and there are experiences, you get a bit jaundiced about things. You know, you see things repeat. And actually, I recognize in myself, it's actually pretty easy to get hardened and cynical, even to get bitter about things. And so someone is enthusiastically talking to me about the next best thing and I notice in my inner voice I'm not always, yes, that's marvellous. Sometimes I'm really not that. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who says, oh, the old wine is better. I really don't. I don't want to be the guy who when something really important is happening, someone is being healed, is the guy off on the edge obsessing about other stuff that's petty because the old ways were better. I just don't want to be it. Do you want to be that? And, and I see that I can be. I see that actually there's, I think, always the potential for that. And I think other people see that too. Uh, next week's listener... uh, is titled Religion, Rescuing the World's Sacred Texts from Fundamentalists. Um, It's quoting an author, Karen Armstrong. It's trying to write about bad religion, the religion of that guy. And it makes us feel uncomfortable because do we want to say it's fundamentalism that does that? I don't think we do. A couple of weeks ago, they published a survey. Did you see it? Um, most trusted religious people in New Zealand: Buddhist. Buddhists. Mm-hmm. Least trusted: Evangelical. Evangelicals. Yeah. How did that come to be? Because, well, oh, actually, Buddhists don't stand for a lot, so we're pretty. <laughs> but, but because we look and sound like that guy, we look and sound, some of us, about the ones who are being, this is from outsiders, being obsessed about petty things. Okay, Maybe, I could be wrong. I do want to say, um, this article, she's writing about the kind of extremist religion that causes people to massacre others. Jesus wouldn't have a bar of it, and I don't think anyone in this room would either. Okay, And I don't think holding closely to the Bible lets you go there. So I would want to say, um, I I would not want to say don't hold close to scripture, I'd want to say the opposite. One more nasty statistic, sorry to be the bearer of hard news, Um, a statistic I heard three weeks ago from a a lecturer at Kerry College, Uh, roughly 30% of people in New Zealand would claim to be Christians. 30, that's quite a high percentage, eh? I think. Um, Guess how many go to church? 15%. Okay, half. Which is fascinating. Half of the people who claim to be Christians don't go to a church. Why is that? Well, I don't know. Uh, I'd hesitate to say, but I would say I've met a lot of people who've been hurt by church, hurt in church. I'd say a lot of people who have seen church, us, act unkindly. I'd say a number of people whose accusation would be what we would say of the Pharisees. They were petty. Uh, Sorry, um, none of that's fantastic news for us all. Um, I'm saying it because I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the other guy. That's for me. I told you I'm speaking to me. I don't want to be, hello, I'm pity. I want to be, I hope we want to be the guys who are really about Jesus. And the word I'd like to use instead of pity is radical. Now, what radical means is, holding on to the root, the core. Yep. I want to be the people who are radical, the ones who are holding really close to Jesus. And I'd like us to be a church like this. And so I was reading through this and kind of reflecting on the Pharisees and and reading some of the contemporary stuff, and, but I'd also been away at a course talking about Baptists and how they got going. And look, I know lots of people here, you're in a Baptist church, but you're a, a Baptist refugees. You're here because we're not treating you too badly. Um, but there's some interesting stuff. The first Baptists were really radical. They were so strong in their belief that actually to belong to a Baptist church, you would um, risk death and prison. In an age where the king controlled state religion, just like China controls their state religion. Yep, so a good king would do good things. The early Baptists said, nah, we think God is present when we're gathered together, and we can be trusted to do what God wants. And so they read through scripture in community, and in fact, one of the founders wrote to King James of the King James Bible. He wrote to him and said, listen, mate, I've got no problem with you being king, but you've got to give us freedom of religion. And you know what happened to him? He was put into a prison where he died. Because prison was pretty harsh in those days. They were radical. I'd love us to be radical in our following of Jesus. Holding to the root. So I just want to make three suggestions as to how I think we might do that without being petty. And then I'll just have a moment or two if anybody else wants to say this might help. Because these are my reflections on how do I do that. Because honestly this comes out of looking at myself and thinking I can be really petty. I can do this. It's actually almost my default. I need help not to. Speaking for myself. So my first is most obvious. Lean into Jesus. The early Baptists, what they did is they said, without Jesus at our center, we are toast. And so how do we make sure we have Jesus at our center? Well, they made sure that they prayed together and they read the Bible together. They thought those two things would keep centering us. And they knew that they had to have Jesus because they thought, said, if, we, if we're making decisions together without that, it's all just going to be about what I want, which is actually quite difficult. In a democracy, we think it's about getting what you want and having most people on your side. But actually, they thought it's about looking for what does Jesus say. And you want to get a sense of what radical is. One of those early Baptists, he was in prison, in Newgate prison, where um, it's pretty tough. He's not fed a lot. So he ends up so thin that he can squeeze through the bars and get out. So he escapes, it's the middle of winter, and he heads out of this prison, and there's a guard chasing him, and he runs onto this lake that's frozen, and um, he, did I mention he was thin? He also doesn't weigh a lot, so he's running across this lake, and the guard that's following him has had a much better diet, and weighs a lot more, and can you guess what happens? The guard breaks through the ice, and falls into the lake, and this early Baptist guy goes, what would Jesus do? So he goes back and he rescues the guard for which he's arrested and then killed. But that's radical. That's not petty. That's trying to say the stuff that's important. Radical like Jesus. How do we do that? How do you lean into Jesus? I mean, the theory's is great, isn't it? Well, no one's going to, in a church, no one's going to say don't lean into Jesus. Well, I reckon... Recognizing that we are, again, I'll speak for myself. You can decide if you're there. By default, I can be really petty, right? Self-centered. I think we need things to bump us out of that. And I think one thing that really helps us is reading Scripture. Reading hunks of it. I'm going to read you a tiny bit from Ephesians from the Message Version. I want you to hear it and hear what's Paul talking about. And, okay, I'll start. I ask, ask the God of our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so he can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, oh, I'm waiting for that. Boundless strength. Strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, which, by which he fills everything with his presence. Got those words ringing in your ears? Now hear this. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. One thing is talking about the magnificence of creation and God working it, and the other one is picking It's really easy for us to get hung up on unimportant, inconsequential, niggling things. In fact, I heard a quote, I really like this, some guy said, you know, churches, when they look at other churches, tend to spend more time bickering about the dress the bride is wearing than acknowledging the bride of Christ. Their habits and abilities, by which he meant they focus on their worship style or baptism focus or mission statement, and they forget too that God loves them and maybe they work it differently. (laughs) So being honest, I see in myself that tendency towards pettiness, and I don't want to be that. And I think reading Scripture, great hunks of it. And you know what? I don't even know if you have to understand it. One of the reasons a lot of writers talk about Psalms as the prayer book of the church is they reckon if you keep reading this, you will not get it. You'll read it, and you won't get it, and you'll read it, and you won't get it because it's like learning another language. You just have to go over and over and over and eventually start to see, hang on, God sees it like this. It's supposed to change you. Here's another little bit from Ephesians. I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you will be able to take in with all Christians the ex- extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Live in the fullness of God. But don't eat with tax collectors or sinners radical, leaning into the work of Jesus. So that's one. Theory number one for me would be leaning into Jesus. Um, I'd say doing it together. Theory number two is uh, that I think rescues us from being that guy, the nitpicker, is if we're actually eating with tax collectors and sinners or eating with the people at the edge or the margin. Because if you do that, what you will find is that you listen to them. It's really easy to construct a theology of life is like this from wherever you stand with other people like you. It gets a lot harder if you're sitting with people who've had completely different life experiences. And here's the interesting thing that i would never thought about before. If Jesus is doing that, then he's hearing those. He's hearing the other voices, the voices that we cut out. We don't notice things. So pull up a chair. Listen to someone from outside of you. I reckon it might rescue us from being petty. And the early Baptists, actually, they thought that. They thought that it was so important you heard people from the margins that in the 1600s, do you know what they got a really hard time for? They let women speak. And we know about this because they made the press because people were writing arguments about, how dare you have she preachers, they called it. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. Now, look, it's, uh, going back in Baptist history, there's some really awful stuff in there as well. And I will not say to you that Baptists have been absolutely brilliant about everything. They really haven't. But they knew that a group of people who in those days were so marginalized, they knew it was important that, because everybody gets to read the Word of God. Everybody gets to figure it out. Everybody, and they thought that it was really important. You didn't just hear from the majority, from the people of privilege and power. And so, in that place, it was um, uh, it, it was women preaching, but it applies to life. And when you do that, okay, life gets a little it gets a little bit harder to have that nicely tied up set of cardboard box, all the walls in there, doesn't it? when you're hearing the voice from outside, and you start to see what you look like to people from outside. You don't have to agree with it, but you start to hear it. That listening to the fringe is really important. And when you do that, you start to realize what you don't know, which brings me to the last bit. My third thing was to say, if we're not to be that guy, that guy who's stuck on the old wine, then there's this thing about learning. And learning means holding loosely what you know so that you might learn something else. The Pharisees have got all stitched up and we all know people like them. It's not that Facebook breeds people like them. It's just it gives them all a voice. It reveals us. But to be radical is to go back to the core and go, should I rethink? And one more time, forgive me for the Baptist propaganda, Early Baptists, one of the first Baptist churches, 1609. This is a statement. It's in oldie English, so you'll see there's S's where they shouldn't be. And here's what they said about their commitment for church. They joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church estate in the fellowship of the gospel. Let's translate that into English. So they made an agreement with God to become a church. Yep. And here's what they said. And excuse the S, I won't read that. To walk in all his ways, being Jesus' ways, made known or to be made known to them. 1609. What strikes you as odd there? The spelling, yes. Made All Jesus' ways made known or to be made known. They knew they didn't know it all. They figured... Look, we're going to walk in all the ways that we know now. But there's more ways that we're going to figure out on the way. To be made known, I assume, by God, according to their best endeavors, not ever it should cost them, the Lord assisting them. And yes, it led towards death for a fair number. To walk in all his ways. I reckon these three things. Lean into Jesus. Listen to the outsiders and learn might rescue us from being that guy, the petty one, that girl, the petty one, and might lead us to a place of being this guy, the one who's radical. What do you think? What have I missed? Yes. So you, you heard that. You, sometimes it's not just them coming to you. You've got to get outside of your normal habitat. Um, and worse than that, in our world, it's quite difficult to connect with people who aren't like you. We have less spaces for that than we had uh, 20, 30 years ago. As one of the markers, the, the things about uh, cell phone connection communities is that you choose who you're connecting with. And they say something offensive and so you leave. So they end up only, they call it an echo chamber. Only think people who sound like you. This is the thing. Yeah. Anything else strike you? Um, absolutely so Linda said you'd, just in case you didn't hear needs to take time people take time to get to know you and actually we're often in a rush last week I mentioned the idea that I think that Christians uh, speaking for myself my problem is I speed I, I, instead of driving at 50 k's, you know, I jump up to, drift up to 60 I think we're all trying to do too much so we go faster and faster and there isn't that time together yeah I'm a bad guy Ha, I was just trying to smoke out the Pharisees. No, um... (laughs) I was told, I hope it's okay to say this, I was told at a young adults group they had a discussion of precisely that and someone commented. uh, They said, the person said, um, um, people are watching Christians to see how they live and someone present said, yes, I've been watching Christians. And that person spoke positively about that, which is nice. (laughs) Um, But that's right, we're always watching each other. Who are you really? It's constant for us. And um, that increasingly the stuff that I read about evangelism says that's actually what leads people to Jesus more and more is they see how we actually live. Which is interesting. It's coming back to that core thing. Are you actually following Jesus? Or is this a nice convenient tack on Probably the other, there's a fine line between where you're accepting sin. Yes, and we I wonder sometimes if our problem is we want church to be the place that will make us happy and comfortable. And that sometimes that place of discomfort is the place where the Spirit works, where you are, what do I do here? I'm really uncomfortable with this. This, And that's what gets us going. Hey, look, um, I wanted to raise some questions. This is where the passage pushed me. Um, We're going to sing three or four songs, um, so if I could have the the team up. I'd love you to be thinking about that. After that, tea and coffee, a chance to pray with others. Um, We've got a little prayer thing to finish the formal part with. But I'd love you to be thinking for yourself, which guy am I being? And how am I getting on in my leaning into Jesus, in my eating with people who aren't like me, and in my holding loosely, being aware that you don't have all the answers. May God be with us and as God is May we be more and more like him.